This morning we come to a, a text in the Bible about a guy who's blind. He cannot see, and there's no doubt that life for this particular blind man was incredibly difficult, incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. Um, I'm nowhere near blind, but I do wear contact lenses. And I know that if I do not have my contact lenses, I, I cannot see, I cannot recognize. It's nowhere near being blind, but I understand somewhat the limitation. And in our text this morning in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, we encounter, Jesus encounters a blind man. And what happens is, is this blind man has some friends, and he has some family members, and they probably heard about Jesus. And what they do is they bring their friend to Jesus. And so what we have in our text this morning is a, it's a wonderful healing about a blind man. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible. And remember, we're on the road with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. We're kind of following Jesus. And we're going with the disciples, and we're going on a journey, and we're just kind of hanging out with Jesus, listening and learning about who he is. And this morning, we come to a blind man. And no doubt for the blind man, it was really, really difficult. If you have been around the Bible at any particular point in time, you know that anyone with a disease... Anyone with a sickness, anyone with blindness, leprosy, anything like that, they were basically considered an outsider. They were an outcast, if you will. They were maybe isolated from the community. Maybe in some cases, if they had a skin disease, they would even be isolated from their own family members. They would be put off. And so to have a, a blindness or disease or death, you were in a really, really hard spot. And the other thing is, in some cases, particularly with a blind man, there was another kind of stigma. In John chapter 9... Uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, there was a blind man in John chapter 9. There was a, a blind man there, and the religious leaders came to Jesus, and they asked him this question. They said, who sinned that this man was born this way, the man or his parents? In other words, there was this stigma that somehow, some way, because you were born blind or are blind, you're cursed by God. So this other idea of, of even living under the curse of God because of the condition that you're in. And so what we have this morning as we walk along with Jesus is we encounter a blind man. Let me read our text, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Very few verses. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Let me pray. Father, we, we open our Bibles before you, and we open our hearts, and we open our minds. Uh, the, the psalmist said, Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your law. Father, this morning we look to the life of Jesus and the healing of this blind man. And Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to the reality of your word, more importantly to the reality of who Jesus is. Be thou my vision, Lord, that our vision would be ultimately upon you and who you are and what you have done for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes to Jesus and what he's done and the responsibility that we have to be a light in the midst of darkness. Father, I pray that you would teach us from your word about the beauty of Jesus and who he is. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. 
So as I was doing some reading, um, I, I found a commentator, and he kind of outlined this section in, in three movements. And I, I want to use his uh, outline, if you will. And I think it'll help us to walk through the text, if you will. Um, the three movements are this. There's a setting. We're going to look at that. There's a setting for this uh, blind man, the healing. And then there's the story. We're going to just walk through the story. We'll just walk through the healing. And then we'll get to the end and go, well, what does this really mean? What's the significance? So there's a setting, a story, and a significance. That's kind of what we're going to look at in the outline that you can kind of put in the back of your brain, if you will, if you want to do it. So, so let's just begin with the setting, verse uh, 22 of chapter 8. The setting is this. Jesus is on the way. Notice what it says. It says, uh, they came to Bethsaida. In other words, what's happening is, once again, we're on the move with Jesus. Remember, we, we kind of began with Jesus, the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up north, and he went to Sidon. Then he went to Tyre, and then the Syrophoenician woman. And then he kind of went all the way around the Decapolis, and he came back, and, and there was the feedings. And, and we've watched Jesus over the, the last couple of months, and we've been on this journey with Jesus. We've been on the way with Jesus. And what's interesting is this. There's a phrase in this act we're going to be in Act 2, and I'll explain that a little bit. There's a phrase in this act that's going to be repeated in Act 2, and it's this. They're on the way with Jesus. It's going to occur in chapter 9, verse 34, chapter 10, verse 17, chapter 10, verse 32, and, and verse 52. And Jesus is on the way. And Jesus is on the way with the disciples for a specific purpose. What he wants to do is he wants to be around the disciples. Not just around the crowds, but he's going to focus his attention specifically on 12 disciples. And they end up going backward. They end up going back to Bethsaida. And, and where is that? Well, that's Peter and Andrew and Phillips. That's their hometown is what it is. They go back to their hometown. And what we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark in this chapter is this, we are at a transition point. We are going to be in a transition point from the public ministry of Jesus, and that's what we've been looked at. We've looked at the crowds. We looked at the miracles. We looked at teaching. We've watched Jesus go through all of these areas with all of these people, and he's focused on the public ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing them. And all these crowds of people have been following him. Everywhere Jesus goes, there is this crowd of people. And now, in, act, in, in uh, the second act, we have this. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to take a, a step back from all of the crowds, if you will, and he's going to focus his attention ultimately on the life of the disciples. He wants to infuse into them the reality of who he is and the reality of what he's going to do. So in Act, chapter two, or, uh, in act two, we have basically a breakdown of this. We have a healing here. And if you go to the end of chapter 10, we have another healing. Isn't that interesting? Healing of a blind man. Framing, sandwiched in the two healings of blind men. We have sandwiched with Jesus, the disciples following him, going after him, and Jesus infusing life into them in the way of private instruction. And Act 3 is going to be simply this. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is going to go on the way to Jerusalem. And what's he going to do in Jerusalem? He's going to teach, he's going to preach, but he's ultimately he's going to go to the cross. And so what, the, so what Mark does is this. Mark breaks down this wonderful gospel, if you will, and three acts. You have the, the public ministry of Jesus. Act two, which we're in right now, is the, the private ministry of Jesus with the disciples. And in the future as we come around, there's going to be the, the passion of Jesus, where Jesus will go to the cross. And, and I say this to remind us that, that Mark actually wrote in a purposeful manner. Remember what the theme is? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. That's the theme of the Gospel of Mark. Mark wrote in an intelligent way. He wrote in a purposeful way. He wrote in a strategic way. By the way, one of the major transitions that we're going to see next week is Mark chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus is finally going to ask the question of the disciples. By the way, guys, who do you think that I am? And Peter's going to say, you're the Christ. Ding, 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 ding. All of a sudden, they come to this understanding of Jesus as the Messiah, and he's radically going to change the way that he approaches his teaching with his disciples. He's going to take them in an entirely different direction with who he is as he infuses life in a private way with his disciples. So that's kind of where we're at. Act 1, we're in the middle of Act 2, and then eventually we'll get to Act 3. So let's just look at the setting. Let's look at the setting as we begin Act 2. We see the touch of Jesus. We see this in verses 23 through 25. And listen, this is just very, very simple healing, if you will. Very, very straightforward. And what we actually see is this. Once again, in parallel to the deaf man, we see Jesus touching fallen humanity in a powerful way. Verse 22 says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people, again, some people brought a blind man and, t- and begged Jesus to touch him. There's no doubt because of this man's blindness, very few people could or would want to be around him. Once again, he's an outsider. No one would want to touch him. But there were some people. Some people loved this guy. Some people understood about his life. We don't know how long he's been blind, but we know that there were some people who grabbed a hold of this guy and they said, listen, what we need to do is we need to actually get this guy to Jesus. Do you find something beautiful in that? You find something beautiful in that? The act of bringing someone to Jesus is actually important. And we've seen it over and over in this gospel. Listen, when you bring someone to Jesus, whether it be bringing them to church or speaking to them about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when you point them to Jesus, you are doing something commendable. You were bringing the message of who Jesus to them in a very, very personal way. Doesn't it show that we care about people? Doesn't it also show that if you come across someone who may have some kind of disease or or a brokenness of life, that we believe that Jesus can actually help him? That's what these guys believe, these people believe. They believe, hey, listen, this guy's blind. What we need to do is we need to get him to Jesus because if we get him to Jesus somehow, some way, the potential is Jesus is going to heal his life or Jesus is going to help him. And that's commendable. Did you believe that about the people that you come in contact with? That there are people out there who are broken and need to come and need to understand who Jesus is and that Jesus, no matter what they're going through, has the power to help them? This healing that we have here is only recorded only recorded in the gospel book. So, so Mark must have had some reason, some purpose in doing this if it's only recorded here. And what also is interesting is, is, this is this is the first time there's the record of a person who's been physically healed of, of blindness. Now, no doubt he probably did this. It's just not recorded here. So Mark must have some reason to show who this guy is and what Jesus was doing in his life. And as I began to look through the text, I began to think through, well, wait a minute, they're going back to Peter and Andrew and Philip's hometown. The village is not that big. Did they know this guy for somehow? Is there some reason that they, they knew who he was? We don't know. All we know is that there were some family or some friends who came to bring this man, this blind man to Jesus for an express purpose. They begged Jesus to simply touch him. 
That's the word of God out about Jesus. That was the whole purpose of Act 1, the public ministry of Jesus going about, and the crowds, they would come around, and they would swarm around Jesus. And all they really wanted to do is they simply wanted to get up there, and they wanted to touch him. They felt that there was some power, something about him. They wanted to touch Jesus so that they can experience some type of miracle and some kind of help, if you will. Think about last week. Remember last week when the, we, we kind of jumped ahead to Mark chapter 10 and the families and the parents? What were the, family, what were the parents doing? They recognized something wonderful and beauty, uh, beautiful about Jesus. And so the parents were bringing their children to Jesus. Why? They would just touch them. They could pray over them and offer a blessing for them. Go back and look at Mark and see how many times people come to Jesus and they just want to touch him. The, the crowds want to touch him. Remember the woman with the hemorrhage? She kind of squirreled her way up through the crowds and she said, if I just get to the hem of his, if I just get to the hem of his robe, I'm going to feel, I'm going to experience healing. And she did. What about Jairus, the synagogue official? They wanted to touch Jesus because they knew they would experience something powerful from him. Not just in word, but in a message that he would give to them. And notice the personal touch of Jesus. Notice the personal touch of Jesus. And no doubt, I think Mark includes this in here because it kind of parallels, if you will, the healing of the deaf man. If you put these two side by side, you're going to see some parallels. And one of the parallels is this, that Jesus touches the outsiders. Jesus touches the untouchables, if you will. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to follow through on their request to heal him. But instead of doing something in their midst, which he could have done, he could have just spoke. By the way, you're healed, go away. He doesn't. He takes the man by the hand. And what does he do? He, he takes him by the hand in a very intimate way. He doesn't heal him right there. He begins to walk with him, and he just leads him out of the village. The disciples are not taking him. His family's not taking him. His friends. In, in a very, very intimate way, Jesus reaches down, and he takes this man out of the village. He didn't deal with him right there. Jesus is not going to do some kind of public miracle in the midst of all of these people so that a crowd would gather around and he would be seen once again as a great healer. What he's going to do in a very intimate way is to grab him by the hand and take him and pull him out. Pull him away from all the people. Pull him away from the village. And then Jesus does something really unusual. He spits in the man's eyes and then we have kind of a two-stage healing, if you will. He spits in the guy's eyes. The first stage is this, and it's kind of shocking, right? I don't know about you, but, it, but, I, but I grew up, and if my brothers and I spit at each other, I mean, I don't know about you, that, that, that was a big one with my mom. It was disgusting. And we would only do that once or twice because we knew that we were in trouble. There's just something ugly about another person spitting on another person. By the way, you can go in the Old Testament, and they don't do that. And that's what Jesus does. He, he spits on this guy. He takes him by the hand. And he pulls him out, and he spits on the guy's eyes. And, and by the way, it says hands, plural. So Jesus is using both of his hands. He puts both of his hands on the guy's eyes. And, and I think what Jesus is doing in a very symbolic way, he's saying, listen, I want you to know something. My spit, I, I want you to feel something. I want you as a blind person, I want you to feel that I have the power to be able to heal you. I'm going to touch your eyes. I'm going to touch your life in, in a very wonderful way. Assuring this man that, listen, I have the power that I can bring healing to your eyes. And no doubt the accompanying touch 
to Jesus by this man, gave him confidence in who he is. No doubt he'd heard about who he is and what he'd done. And I would imagine for the disciples, they're going to learn something about the touch of Jesus. And they're going to learn something about coming away from all of the crowds. And they're going to learn something about Jesus healing this man in two stages. After spitting on the man's eyes, Jesus then lays his hands on him. And then he asks a follow-up question. Look at verse 23. Do you see anything? The guy must have had his head down. He looked up. He said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now, most people believe that most likely because he can see people as trees walking around, that at some particular point, maybe he had the ability to see. Now, maybe he's a child and maybe he had some disease or some accident, something happened to him. And now something's happened where, where he apparently lost his eyesight and he can't see. Notice what he says. I, I see people like trees walking around. It, it, it's just a little bit fuzzy. I, I can see objects out there. I can see people far off, but they, they look like trees walking around. Notice the second stage in verse 25. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. If there is ever a verse in the Gospel of Mark about the beauty of Jesus and how he has the ability to touch a life and bring healing and restoration, it is this. This is more than just a physical miracle. Notice again what he says. The description is this, opened, restored, and everything clearly. There is no doubt Jesus touched this man in an incredibly powerful way. And what it means is this, all the fog, all the stuff that he couldn't see, all of a sudden he has been restored, if you will. Um, he's seeing everything clearly. It means he, he can see things in the distance. All of those things that were trees, all of those people that looked like trees, they, they looked way off in the distance and I couldn't focus it on them. And now all of a sudden I can see everything clearly. And over and over in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus touching people's lives in an incredible way, like he did this blind man. Notice in, in about five verses, he took, he led, he spit, he spoke, he healed, and then he's going to send him out. Look at verse 26. And he sent him to his home saying, don't even go into the village. What's interesting is this, over and over in the Gospel of Mark, we hear Jesus saying, you know, I, I don't want you to go into the village. I don't want you making a big public scene about all this. They call it, theologians call this the secrecy of Mark, if you will. Why is Jesus being so secret? I mean, the reality is, how is he going to be secret here? The fact that a blind man received his sight is an incredible miracle, isn't it? I mean, could you imagine the guy walking back home? He doesn't have to be led back home. He can find his way back home. He can go into his house. The people in his house are going to find out, wait, wait a minute, you were blind. What's happening? What has changed in your life? Well, the guy by the name of Jesus, he touched my eyes. He spoke these words, and all of a sudden, I can, I can see. And the fact that a miracle has occurred, no one's going to be able to die, deny it. And I think what Jesus is doing is Jesus is pulling this man away from the crowds. He's pulling the disciples with him. He says, listen, I, I don't want to be this public figure. What I want to do is I, I want to remind you of something in, in Act 2. And that's this. Do you have an understanding of who I am and what I've come to do? I, I'm, I'm more than just a healer. I'm more than just a teacher. I'm the Savior who's come to offer myself as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. 
And they're not getting it yet. They're not going to get it yet. They won't actually get it throughout the whole gospel. They're going to need the Spirit of God to bring them and to open their eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. So this is what we've done. We, we've kind of walked through the setting. I've tried to set the setting of this. We're on the way with Jesus. We're beginning Act 2. We looked at the story, and the story is this, that Jesus physically touched a blind man. Now, what I want to do is this. I, I want to wrap this up. I, what does this mean for us? What, what, what can we learn? What is the significance? And before we get to that, I, I want to give you a, an illustration. I came across this article. It was in the New Yorker magazine. And the name of the article is this. Feel me what the new science of touch says about ourselves. And it was an interesting article. I want to summarize it and I want to tell you what I learned from this article. Here it is, Dr. Dr. Keltner. He's a professor of psychology and a scientific advisor for Pixar's film Inside Out. Some of you probably saw that. Claims that human touch is the foundations for human relationships. This is what the guy says, that human touch is the foundations for human relationships. He explains skin to skin, parent to child, touch is the social language of our social life. The foundation of all human relationship is touch. There are four years of touch exchanged between mother and baby. In this social realm, our social awareness is profoundly tactile, that means physically touching. Keltner was one of the co-authors for a study that looked at celebratory touches, if you will, of pro basketball players. You know, you've seen all those, including fist bumps, high fives, chest bumps, leaping shoulder bumps, chest punches, head slaps, head grabs, low fives, high tens, full hugs, half hugs, and team huddles. The researchers discovered that teams whose players touched one another did a lot better than those teams that didn't. Keltner has concluded, this is what he concludes, that touch lowers stress, builds morale, produces triumphs, a chest bump instructs us in cooperation, and a half hug in compassion. Okay, let me, this is the way I apply it. So I watched the hockey game last night, and then again to the end, and I'll tell you what, I love this about Blues hockey. When that game ends, the hockey, the goalie is in the net. And you know what all the other players do? They all skate up to him, and they get right in front of the goalie, and every one of them do a little headbutt. Every one of them do a little headbutt. It's a touch. And, and that, and according to what this study says, is that we need to touch other people's lives. And that's what we are seeing here in the life of Jesus. This is so much beyond the physical healing of a blind man. This is God himself taking on human flesh and coming in the, in the yuckiness and the brokenness of life and touching outsiders and touching people who need something. And what he did was he, he actually, according to Philippians chapter 2, he actually left us as an example to follow his example of going out and touching people who are broken in life. And that's the way that I, I look at this and how one of the things that we can do and one of the things that we can learn is this, that are we touching individuals' lives? Are we crawling into their lives? Because that's what I think the disciples are learning in Act 2 with the life of Jesus. So let me just wrap this up real quickly here. What is the significance? 
In verse 23, remember he asked the blind man, do you see anything? I wonder if a good question for us would be this. Well, I've read this. What do I see? Do I just see an illustration? Or, or do I see something different and unique about the person of Jesus? I would like to make some suggestions. What might me see, number one, is this. Be intentional. Be intentional with others. These people, we don't know who they were, they believed something about Jesus. They believed that Jesus had the potential to heal a blind man. I don't know if the blind man had this faith or not. It doesn't say anything like that. All we know is some people brought this blind man to Jesus. And you and I live in a broken world, and through the incarnation, God has asked us, God has invited us, God has sent us out to be intentional in the way that we would live. Because there's a lot of broken people in the world, and there's a lot of people that need help. So yesterday we did the battery blitz and we walked through the different houses and we knocked on doors and we talked to people and we asked if we could help them. And one of the, the houses over here, um, a, a couple went up and knocked on the door and we found out that, uh, uh, that the man has uh, a kidney and he's on a dialysis three days a week. And so, so what do we do? He asked if our food pantry was open. He asked if we had help. You know, and, and so in a very tangible way, what we did was we, we did the best that we could to try to, to try and help this person in a very intentional way. And so that's what we did. And we set him up and tried to give him some resources so that he and his family can have some food to be able to, to help and to have whatever they would need throughout the week. And I, I, I see that you and I live among broken people. And we can't just say I'm busy. We can't just close our hearts to them. But we need to get and crawl inside their lives. I told you I meet on Thursday mornings with my Harley buddies. The last couple of months we began to pray together. And because I'm the pastor, PC, I'm the pastor, it's my job to pray, so I pray. Well, last week, two of the waitresses wanted to join us as we prayed. And you know why they wanted to join us? One of them has two disabled sons in their 40s, one who's going to have an operation this Thursday. And the other one has a daughter who's incarcerated. That's the brokenness of our world. And God says, listen, be intentional about the way that you live and go out and touch fallen humanity. And so this is encouragement. I believe what this is. This is an encouragement to allow God to use you because you know something about Jesus that these other people don't. That no matter what they are going through and what they are experiencing in life, that Jesus is the answer. Maybe he won't respond in the way that they think he will, but he will ultimately respond. So number one, I believe we're taught to be intentional. Number two is this, don't be blind to Jesus. Don't be blind to Jesus. Let me ask you something. What is Jesus doing in your life? Where do you see Jesus working in your life? Do you see him working? Or are we just kind of caught up in the day-to-day, -day, hey, I come here on Sunday, I do this. I'm caught up in the ritual of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. If you go back and look, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, there is a theme that we have been hit over and over again. And for some reason, Mark continues to deal with this. And it's this. It's a theme of blindness to the disciples who've been around Jesus for about three years. And he keeps asking, hey, by the way, guys, are you blind? Or don't you understand? What do you see? In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus asks those questions, remember what he does when he asks those questions about blindness and understanding? Where does he take them back to? He takes them back to the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. What he does is he takes them back to something that he has already done. 
And now as we transition in the Gospel of Mark about seeing, understanding, where do we find ourselves? A blind man. Isn't that interesting? That Mark, in the midst of confronting the disciples about blindness, spiritual blindness, would bring an illustration of about a blind man and what he would see. Let me ask you, are, are you blind to the reality of Jesus and who he is, what he's done for his life? What might the audience, what might Mark want us to see and realize and understand about the person of Jesus? That the deaf man is an illustration of us not hearing the message of Jesus. And the blind man is about us not seeing the reality of who Jesus is and what he would do with us. Listen, there's a lot of people that are blind to Jesus. He's a good man. He's a wise man. He's a moral man. But that's all he is. Mark won't allow us to leave with that impression of Jesus. He won't. He's more than that, which leads us to the third point. Find comfort in the third point. Find comfort in the authority of Jesus. What Mark does is this. Mark uses the blind man as a reminder to the reality of Jesus and the power of Jesus in Jesus being the son of man who's come from God as the savior of the world. If you go back when we began this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I quoted to you Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. That would be a prophecy of the Old Testament. That would be something prophesied about the Messiah and what he would do when he came. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, notice what it says. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Jesus did that. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus did that. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There is no doubt that this is a prophecy about the Messiah and what would happen when he comes. And when he comes, what is the Messiah doing? What is Jesus doing? He's doing the very acts of God. Jesus is not an ordinary man. He's more than moral. He's more than wine. He is God incarnate. And by the way, he's absolutely doing the works of God. Psalm 146 says this. Notice the description. It says this. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Jesus did that in the feeding of the four and five thousand. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Who is doing that in by the psalmist. That is Yahweh. That is God. Who is doing these things in the New Testament? It is Jesus. The sovereign Lord comes to help us in the presence of Jesus. And he can do the absolute same things that God can do. Do you remember when John was in prison? John the Baptist was in prison. And John, is, he's a little bit wayward. He's like, man, I don't know if this guy really is. Remember, remember if you're honest, he, he asked the question. And so he sends his messengers to Jesus, and, and he sends them with this idea, listen, go ask Jesus. He goes, are you the one to come? Are you the one to come? Or should we look to someone else? And you remember what Jesus' response was? Go and tell John what you see. The blind see and the lame walk. If I'm the one to come, go back and simply report to him what you have seen happen through the life of Jesus. Jesus is absolutely who he said he is. 
And based upon his authority, he is the son of man. He's the one who's come to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And will we submit our lives and find comfort in the authority of Jesus? Okay, real quickly, the intentionality of Jesus. Open our eyes to the reality of Jesus, the comfort of Jesus. Stay on the right path. Stay on the right path. This is about discipleship with Jesus. That's what this is about. Act 2 is ultimately about discipleship with Jesus. Will, we, will you and I stay on the right path? As I mentioned over and over, there's a phrase that you're going to see in Act 2 between these two stories of the blind man. It's on the way with Jesus. And over and over, you're going to see that phrase on the way with Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to be spending private time with his disciples on the way. What's interesting about that phrase on the way is this. When you get to the book of Acts, what happens to the way? All of a sudden, the way becomes a designation for believers and followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, pre-conversion, Paul is going house to house, arresting people. And notice how he describes Christians. Acts chapter 2 verse 9 says this. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters in the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The way becomes the designation for walking with Jesus. In the book of Acts, the way becomes the way that you're saved. And it becomes the way that you're just supposed to follow Jesus. And what Jesus is doing with his disciples in Act 2 is this, I'm on the way. Are you going to stay with me? Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to be like the people in John chapter 6 who simply wanted to hang around for the miracles? Stay on the way with Jesus and don't give up because he wants to continue to follow your life. Fifthly, there's an anticipation of our future. Real quickly, the healing of the blind man is simply a reminder of what's going to happen one day in the future. That he's going to wipe away every tear. And all of us, our bodies are going to be restored and we're going to be able to see fully and our bodies are going to be restored. And we're going to have a glorified body. He's going to wipe away all the tears, all the pain, all, the, all of that pain and suffering is going to be wiped away. The book of Revelation talks about it. It's an anticipation of the future of when we will be with Jesus and how everything will be restored completely and we will see clearly. And the last thing I want to deal with is this. I believe what we can learn from this text is remember the passion of Jesus. Remember the passion of Jesus. And this is how I think we get there. Jesus' compassion to his disciples is this. I, I do all of these wonderful miracles and I help people, but ultimately what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the cross. And three times in this section, what Jesus is going to do is this. He's going to tell his followers, his disciples, I'm going to the cross. Acts chapter 8, verse 31. Chapter 9, I'm going to the cross. Chapter 10, I'm going to the cross. And every time he tells his disciples that he's going to go to the cross, I want you to notice how the disciples respond. The first time, Acts chapter 8, verse 31, when Jesus tells him, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter rebukes him. Remember that? In chapter 9, Jesus tells them, I'm going to go to the cross, second time. They're arguing with each other about who's greatest in the kingdom. 
in chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus is an extended version of what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the cross. And James and John are arguing about who's going to be sitting at Jesus' right-hand side. You, you see what's happening? Jesus, in Act 2, begins to tell them about his death, burial, and resurrection, and they don't get it. They don't get it. They're blind. Their hearts are hardened to the reality of Jesus, and they won't get it until we get to the end of the story, until Jesus does exactly what he says. He goes to the cross. He's rejected. He goes into the grave, and third day later, he's raised from the dead. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to remind them of the ultimate reason of why he came. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think there's a lot for us. I, I, I don't know where you're at with this. I don't know what you say. I hope that you see the wonder and the beauty of Jesus and who he is. We're invited by Mark to open her eyes to the reality, not just of a healing but the broader picture of who Jesus is and how he ultimately touches life. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for Jesus. Father, I thank you for the beauty of Jesus, that whether we read in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, whether we read in the Gospels, whether we read in the, in, in the letters of Paul, or all of these wonderful texts point to the beauty of of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, I, I pray that through the, the story of this blind man, that we would see the beauty of who you are and ultimately the way that we're supposed to live our lives. Father, I thank you that you've touched our lives. I thank you that we have a relationship with you. I thank you that you love us and that you care for us. And no matter what's going on in our lives, we can look to you and we can trust you and we could submit to you, knowing that you will take care of us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the way that he touched the world. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.